and sterilize so you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. The year is 1971. Television screens are teeming with shows like All in the Family, Columbo, Common Rider, The Return of Ultraman, and Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp. Quality entertainment in cinemas were just as prolific, with films like Dirty Harry, A Clockwork Orange, Get Carter, Shafts, The French Connection, and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Even Dario Argento's Four Flies on Grey Velvet and Cat of Nine Tails were released that same year. But on the other side of the world in Oceania, the story about a young man who loses himself in a sinkhole of booze, gambling, depression, and death in a remote Australian outback town hit theaters. The Australian New Wave and what later would be dubbed Ausploitation would contribute to the impressive list of movies from 1971, a film that is criminally underrated and worthy of cult status. That film is Wake in Fright. Hello and welcome to the Skeleton Factory Podcast, episode 39. This is Adam coming to you from Austin, Texas. On this episode, we'll be taking a look at 1971's Wake and Fright, directed by Ted Kotcheff and starring Gary Bond and the legendary Donald Pleasance. John Grant, played by Gary Bond, is an elementary school teacher in a remote Australian town of Taboonda. John has a financial obligation to the government of Australia for a tertiary post-secondary education program where he has to uh, essentially pay to work as a teacher. But he doesn't pick where he works. The government does. It's a strange arrangement. I'm not aware of anything like that in the United States, at least, but... That seems to be his uh, position at the beginning of this film. So he works in the middle of absolute nowhere in the tiniest little schoolhouse, and he looks miserable. (laughs) So it's Christmas break. All the little kitties go home for their six-week vacation. And John is off to Sydney to see his girlfriend for six weeks of yuletide spirits, gift-giving, and unprotected premarital fucking. Everyone in this movie is drunk, by the way. I want to just get that out of the way uh, up front. Everyone in this movie is sweaty and oily and drunk the entire time. Just so you can kind of get a a feel, a flavor of the movie ahead. So he's on, he's on the train. He's riding, um, he's taking a train out to, well, he needs to take a train ride out of Taboonda. And then eventually he'll get a ride out to an airport to fly out to, um, Sydney. So he's in the middle of fuck, but fuck nowhere where airports aren't, uh, easily accessible. 
So on the train ride, there's uh, he gets on and there's everyone on the train's drinking, which is great. Uh, that's you know, it's not quite as lively on when you take Amtrak or something. But everyone on this train is just shit faced and they're like singing, singing songs together. And I'm actually really glad that's not an American thing. You know what I mean? Like the Irish, the English, Scottish, uh, Australian, obviously. Like there's all these countries where they're there's they're known for singing songs out loud together as one and one drunken mob. And there's not a lot of that in the United States. You might get some of that. I don't know. I don't know at a college fucking football game or some shit, but for the most part, Americans are very standoffish, grumpy, drunk assholes. (laughs) And that's the way it should be. And, oh, there's something, okay, so John gets onto the train. John gets onto the train, he walks by the giant mob of drunk people and he finds a seat and at some point, he uh, goes and gets a drink. There's like this uh, communal water jug that anyone who's thirsty can get some water from, which sounds like a great idea considering this train doesn't look like it has air conditioning. It's in the middle of this fucking desert in the middle of nowhere. But what's really weird is this water jug, which isn't refrigerated. It's just a giant glass jug that's sort of mounted onto the wall. Mounted on the wall next to it is a single drinking glass. So anyone who is thirsty that needs to get a drink of water has to walk over to this jug on the wall, grab the communal glass, fill it up, and drink out of it, and then put it back. That's fucking disgusting. Half the people in this movie don't even look like they brush their teeth. Could you imagine drinking off a glass that hundreds, maybe thousands of people have drank off of? Like, I grew up going to Catholic Mass and having to drink off of the same goblet during communion, but for God's sakes, at least there's a fucking altar boy there that will wipe the rim of the glass off. This, I just thought that part was really gross. (laughs) So, um, on the way there, the train stops into this small town called Bundinyaba, or Yaba for short. John's supposed to stay uh, in the Yaba overnight and then be off in the morning. He stops in a local bar or pub. If you're anywhere that's not in the United States, stop into a pub. And the place should be called uh, the fucking sausage fest because there's more dudes in there than the leather bar from the movie cruising. So he meets a local uniformed cop, uh, cop named Jock Crawford. Not to be confused with Jack Crawford, the uh, character from the Thomas Harris silence of the lambs books and films. Uh, <laughs> so he, uh, so Jock Crawford's this, I mean, he's a cop in uniform 
getting shit-faced in a bar. And he seems like actually a pretty friendly guy. Every Everyone in this movie is... Um, I don't know. Everyone's... Everyone has... Everyone's very hospitable, but everyone's kind of obnoxious, which is weird. It's a weird kind of two thing. It's kind of like everyone's basically an Australian version of Cousin Eddie from the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. So, so John and Jock they get uh, they get to chatting. Um. Over a beer or two or six, uh, they just pa- start pounding fucking drinks. And um, John, what can I say about school teacher John Grant? John Grant is a pompous, highfalutin ass. <laughs> he's he's the main character, you know, and we follow him through the whole movie. But he's not particularly uh, likable. And it, it, you, they establish that very early on in the movie, but it doesn't get better as the movie goes along. Like you kind of dislike him more as the movie goes along and we'll, we'll get to all that. But so Jock takes him to this, uh, they leave the pub and they go to this place that, um, I don't even know how you can describe it. It would, it's basically a, gambling restaurant speakeasy like the place is clearly not legal <laughs> but it exists it's a and it's a place where they uh, the inhabitants there and there's a shitload of people in this one area in in the back of the restaurant there's this huge room filled with dudes and they're all playing this game called two up and Two up is, and I and I like looked into the game because I never seen this game played before. But it's basically like a coin flipping game where you take two coins, and it's usually like Australian pennies traditionally because the game itself, from what I understand, was first played by Australian soldiers when they were like out. And foxholes and shit, and they were bored, and they would basically you get two coins, you put them on this little, this little tab. Imagine if you took a a ruler, and then just snapped it in half. Okay, it's like this little, this little. It looks like a bookmark. And you put the two coins on it, and you throw the coins up in the air, and the coins drop. Now the coins can only land on heads. On both coins, tails on both coins, or one is heads and one is tails. So those, you know, those are the only outcomes. So what everybody does is everyone in the room bets on whether it's going to be heads on both coins, tails on both coins, or heads and tails. Pretty simple game. But everyone in the room is loud and drunk, and it looks like a lot of money's getting thrown around on this game. So, and they just go flip after flip after flip. So, the the opportunity to play a lot and lose all your fucking money or make a lot of money, um, you know, is pretty enticing. You know, and it makes sense. You you live in the middle of nowhere. It seems like the only recreation around here is drinking, and 
That's the only thing to do for socializing and this gambling game. Now, there is a like military like memorial holiday that they have. It's kind of like Memorial Day in the United States, but it's like an Australian version and so it's very military oriented and uh two up is played um traditionally during this time. But in this particular bar, this like speakeasy, it's played every night. So, you know, so you can kind of picture this town. It's like there's nothing to do but gamble and get trashed. And both those things are pretty fun. So everyone in this place is a serial gambler and alcoholic. So also when they walk in, there's like a, there's like a, like a diner which is kind of weird and like a speakeasy there's like a diner in there where they have a sign that says one dollar steaks that's fucking great that's it's like a perfect place you go in there you drink eat one dollar steaks and then you just gamble sounds fucking great another thing that's in this movie because it's uh it's at a time where i'm not old enough like I'm pretty old, but I'm not old enough to remember when beer or just cans in general of soda or beer or whatever had a pull tab on it. Because now you just have like the regular tab where the can just pops open and you drink out of it. But, you know, every beer in this movie is like a pull tab. I wonder if that's a thing somewhere. Are there pull tab beers anywhere in there? That'd be cool to bring back just as a throwback thing. I think I think I'm old enough to wear. I think Kern's Nectar uh, made a type of pull tab can when I was a kid. So Jock and John are at this place, right? And John's already trashed. You know, like him and Jock already drank a shitload of beer, so they go in this. So they they went there basically just to eat. But um, while John's eating, he meets the character of Doc. Titan, played by Donald Pleasance, who can be described as uh, the town drunk. And it's great to see Donald Pleasance in anything, really, especially if you're a Halloween fan, if you're a fan of the John Carpenter's Halloween and the Halloween franchise, or, I mean, anything else that Donald Pleasance in. He was in, well, he played the President of the United States in uh, Escape from New York, and I think he was in Prince of Darkness. Right? Yeah, I think he was. I'm sure somebody's... If I'm wrong, someone's yelling. Someone's yelling at me right now that I'm wrong, but... Whatever. <laughs> so, Donald Pleasance as Doc Titan, who's... Yeah, he's the town drunk, which in uh, the town of uh, of the of Yaba is saying something. Doc is uh, a doctor who used to work in Sydney, but decided to forgo practicing medicine to live in the boonies in the Yaba and get hammered every day. So he's, you know, he's a doctor. He's a fairly well-educated guy who lived in um, a more cosmopolitan lifestyle at some point, but he just abandoned all that just to, live out in the middle of nowhere. And it's not like he, it's not like Doc lives 
in some like nice fucking place. Like he lives in a fucking shack, <laughs> like a corrugated metal fucking shack uh, in the middle of you know out in the fucking boonies and shit. So he's sitting there, and uh, him and John start talking, and John fancies himself kind of smarter than everyone in this modern Wild West town. He kind of sees himself as like an educated city guy from academia, and he's now in this town full of wild, drunk people who he kind of sees as beneath him. And he didn't expect to run across someone, some homeless-looking drunkard to checkmate him in a battle of wits. And that's exactly the conversation that takes place between Donald Pleasance and and John Grant. So when John questions Doc about the inhabitants, inhabitants of the Yaba and their moral fiber and why anyone would uh, would live there and what what enjoyment would they get out of it so here's that scene now all the little devils are proud of hell do you mean you don't think the yabber is the greatest little place on earth could be worse how supply of beer could run out why did you say that? Say what? What about them being proud of hell? Discontent is the luxury of the well-to-do. You gotta live here, and you might as well like it. Why don't you like Crawford? Job? The touch of his hairy hand bent. I'm a fool with the aggressive hospitality, the Arrogance of stupid people insist you should be as stupid as they are. It's death to farm out here. It's worse than death in the mines. Do you want them to sing opera as well? And what do you do? I drink. This beer's gone warm. Now, I get John's point of view to a certain extent, but by my last count, Jock Crawford bought this dickhead at least six beers and probably that steak dinner, which was only a dollar, but still, it looked like a decent steak, and has been friendly as can be, and even took him to an illegal underground gambling bar. A a uniformed police officer, you know, but John should have quit when he was ahead, um, like Travolta and Pulp Fiction, you know, I had a very lovely evening, get in the car, go back to the hotel, jerk off, and that's all you're going to do, go to sleep. But no, curiosity gets the best of him and he decides to play some two up. And uh, he actually gets on a roll. So much so that he realizes that he's won enough money to where if he 
keeps going, he might be able to be able to win enough money to pay off his bond and get out of his teaching gig in Tabunda. So he decides, okay, I want a ton of money. I'm going to fucking, I'm going to try my luck and try to win the full amount, which I think was like a thousand dollars or something. So he, what was it? He won like 400 and he's like, okay, I can, I don't, I don't understand the logic of the game. Like, cause he won like 400 and he's like, okay, I could win. I can get the thousand and like, I think he said one or two more spins. So however, the gambling of fucking two up works, I don't know. But so he decides to try his luck and he loses all of his fucking money. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, he loses all of his cash at least. So all the money that he won, he lost. So he should have just tucked tail and went back to the hotel and, and, and jerked off and went to sleep. <laughs> Because, you know, he's got to fly to Sydney in the morning, you know, go see his lady. And he can forget about this little town, go to go to the beautiful city of Sydney, Australia, and have uh, unprotected intercourse. But no, he he decides he's going to um, he's going to actually take his last check from his teaching job and cash it out. So he can gamble some more. <laughs> so in a lovely scene, after he cashes his check, he comes in um, to the gambling hall, and you know he has his check was two hundred ninety dollars. He walks in and he's like two ninety on heads, and everyone in the room just starts laughing at him, probably because they know that he just lost all his fucking money recently, but. <laughs> so, uh, and actually, um, and Doc is actually the spinner on this particular game. So you, you see him, he, John gambles his money, puts 290 on heads. Coins get thrown. They go up, they hit the floor and it's beautiful. All the audio in the room, everyone in the room goes quiet. All the music goes quiet. And. You don't even see what the coins were. It just hard cuts to the next morning. And John's, he wakes up hungover, naked, and sweaty in his bed. And it's obvious that John didn't win the coin toss. <laughs> so, so not only did he lose all of his cash, his winnings from playing two up, he cashed out his last check and he <laughs> gambled away the last of his money. So now he has no money. He's flat broke. He wakes up in the morning. He checks out of the hotel and um, he had like a $1 deposit on his room key. And so the front desk girl just gives him this $1. So he has $1 to his name now. And now he's stuck out in this town. And he asks the girl at the desk, um, like, hey, where's the, what was it? It was like, the he calls it the labor exchange. 
It's like the Department of Labor. It's basically, it kind of sounds like, um, what, what do you call it? Like whatever the equivalent of going over to the front of a Home Depot and just grabbing some day laborers. It sounds like he's trying to like get some day labor work so he can get some money. But when he gets there, the office is closed. Um, also, I want to mention the lady at the front desk. She's this young woman. And every time they show her, like when he first came into the uh, hotel and when he left, she's sitting behind the desk and she's dipping her fingers in this glass of water and like letting the water sort of drip on her face and chest while an oscillating fan is just blowing right at her face. And it's really weird. It's like something out of a David Lynch film. And I don't. It's kind of funny. There's all these sort of weird moments of levity in the movie that are not not, not necessarily there to give you a big laugh, but it's just to give you a few seconds to rise up out of the sort of slow burning misery of the film to have a little moment of like happiness. <laughs> it's like watching a Vine video, you know? You have like eight seconds of something funny and then like it just goes right back into the fucking into uh, just misery porn. But so, so John leaves the hotel. It's permanent labor is fucking closed. So he's walking through the streets of the Yaba, which actually is not a bad looking town. Um, you know, it's a very, all the buildings are very old timey and cool. It kind of looks like, I don't know, uh, sort of that old timey part of, uh, like Disneyland, like downtown Disneyland. <laughs> but um, the soundtrack that's playing is just very kind of spooky, like something out of the Twilight Zone or something. So this movie actually does have some sort of like, I mean, this movie can be considered like a thriller, a drama, but it it does have these sort of horror elements that sort of build up the dread of the film and it's, it's very well done. It's not heavy handed. Um, there's a couple of scenes where I guess the horror elements really stand out where there, there's some stuff in the movie that is a little disturbing. Let me, Oh yeah, I didn't mention that yet. There are some controversial scenes in this film that, have come under scrutiny from people, but um, but the the history of this film has been documented pretty well. In that, there's some disturbing images in this film, but it wasn't uh, anything. Mm. It doesn't seem, in general, that people reviewers that is like sort of like reviewers critics don't really. Uh, take issue with some of the disturbing scenes in this movie because they understand that the those scenes are to are to really they they add to the film they they sort of heighten um the story and they kind of push the story forward and sort of like the last episode episode thirty eight bad boy bubby where that film also had some disturbing uh, scenes that people really took issue with. And 
you know, there's some of that in this film too, but I don't think uh, it doesn't have the level of outrage that, you know, I mean, the wake and fright that is doesn't have the level of outrage from people that people do with bad boy, Bubby people, bad boy, Bubby people fucking are so mad at that movie. But even though wake and fright is probably a more like, I, I would say it's more kind of viscerally disturbing what like it's like continuously sort of like there's like this impending dread that's sort of like laced through the entire film but it's still you're you're hooked you know what i mean it's not like you're kind of struggling to watch it or anything like that so just for an update mr john grant who uh is now stranded he has one dollar to his name. He uh, tried his luck at gambling his way out of his um, <laughs> indentured uh, teaching job. <laughs> and uh, he tried to buy his way out of that particular contract. But he failed. And he's pretty much flat broke. And now he's trapped in the Yaba. So he goes to leave the hotel and he stops into this local bar. Now, one thing that's not entirely clear to me is his his whole trip was based on the idea that he was going to like fly out to Sydney I mean, I assume he was going to fly out to Sydney. But even if he wasn't flying, if he was taking a train or, you know, whatever. Like, don't you buy your tickets ahead of time? Even in 1971, you buy your tickets ahead of time. You don't just show up at the airport. I would like one for Sydney, please. Like you're trying to get on the fucking wait list at a restaurant. Like, it doesn't work that way. So that was one thing I thought that was weird. It's like, yeah, he lost all his money, but even if you bought, you could show up to a airport completely broke. As long as you have your ticket bought ahead of time, you can get on the fucking plane. So it's this whole thing where somehow, for some reason, he can't get to Sydney now. So I, I don't know. That part confused me. But also there's... This comes up a lot in the movie where John has, he has some outs. He has some ways out of potentially not great situations, but then he just gets sucked in. So this guy has like no fucking backbone at all. He just, he succumbs to peer pressure. Sorry, I'm drinking coffee right now. Um, so he meets this uh, this guy in this bar. So he just walks into this bar. He meets this guy named uh, Tim Hines. He's kind of like older uh, local guy. And he kind of sees the fucking John looking like a sad boy and shit. And he's like, hey, man, you want a drink? And buys him a fucking drink because everyone in this town will happily get you hammered. 
And this is in the morning, by the way. So this bar is packed, like, really early in the morning. So that's one thing I miss. I miss bars where, like, people are waiting to get in at, like, 6 in the morning to start drinking. I, I know. In the age of Peloton bikes, keto-friendly cereals, Fitbits, all that shit. Yeah, I just, I respect, you know, an old guy who's waiting with a newspaper under his arm to get into a bar at six in the morning. There's quite a few places like that when I lived in San Francisco. There was a place in the Tenderloin called the Brown Derby. I used to go to the Brown Derby a lot when I, <laughs> uh, in my mid, mid to late 20s. I used to live like really close to the Brown Derby and let's see, there was the 500 club out in the mission district, you know, like real dive bars that got a really early fucking start, but you'd walk in there and it's like old dudes drinking coffee, smoking cigarettes, reading the paper and drinking. So that's what this, this, this place looks like a kind of a, a more posh hotel bar. But anyways, he meets his dude, uh, Tim Hines and Tim Hines is like, Hey, uh, you look like a sad fuck. Uh, how about we go hang out at my house? So they go meet up. Uh, they, they meet up with some, uh, friends of his, uh, this guy named Dick and Joe, uh, over at Tim's house. And his daughter lives with him as well. Her name is Jeanette. And she just looks fucking miserable. <laughs> She's just like, my dad is a fucking alcoholic. And, I hate living in this fucking one horse bullshit fucking tumbleweed town. So she just, her, just the look on her face is just like, she just looks dead inside. But, uh, but Tim's house is very nice. Like he's got a lovely home and they go in there and, and again, he is presented with an out. John is he, at some point Tim's like, Hmm, we need to do something about your problem because, of course, uh, John was just like, I got no money. I fucking need to get to Sydney. Now I can't, and uh, I'm kind of in a bad spot. And Tim's like, hmm. He's like, well, you know, is there anyone in Sydney that you can call to, like, lend you some money to get you there? And John's like, no. Um, <laughs> With some fucking girlfriend, by the way. You know what I mean? If my fucking, if I needed, I wouldn't even date somebody who I was like, look, in an emergency, if I need you to fucking buy me a plane ticket, I need you to buy me a plane ticket. Someone's just like, I don't have money for a plane ticket. Be like, well, fucking what good are you, bitch? Uh, Anyways, that's besides the point. (laughs) So he's like, I can't call anyone in Sydney. So... So it's like, does John not just not know anybody? It's one of those things where it's like, uh, is he too proud to admit that he fucked up and needs help? And like, so it's like, dude, you don't have any friends or family that you can call to help you out of this situation. Okay. Um, also he lies to Tim and tells him like, oh yeah, I lost all my money. Um, somewhere between when I got off the train from Tabunda to the Yaba, 
which which is not fucking true. <laughs> he blew all his money on drinking and fucking gambling. But he lies to Tim about this. And even Tim, and this seems great because it establishes that Tim's kind of an older dude, but he likes to fucking party because it's the Yaba, and he's got a really nice house. It's almost, I don't know, I'm not too up on home architecture in uh, Australia, but uh, it kind of has like a Victorian kind of look to it. Um, And even Tim at one point is like, well, you know, I could just lend you the money. And John's like, no, 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 I couldn't let you do that. And and it's like, bro, he's giving you an fucking, he's giving you an out, dude. Just take, just take the out, you know, just take the fucking L, dude. You've been taking L's since you showed up in this fucking way. And he's only been there since yesterday, and he's already fucking up hard. And this movie only takes place over like a weekend. So, <laughs> so this, John fucks up like it's the second he leaves Tabunda, he's just fucking tripping over his own dick so so they get to tim's house uh and again uh his daughter Jeanette is there and then his two fucking meathead fucking friends dick and joe show up and they're younger dudes they're fucking loud they're obnoxious at one point uh after tim and dick get there and it's kind of awkward you know what i mean like if you show up to your buddy's house you know, if like you and a, and a friend show up to another friend's house and there's just some other random dude there that you don't know, it's, you know, there's like, there's a weird kind of tension of like, oh, who's this guy? You know, and you really see that in this type of, uh, in this scene, right? So, because everyone there is so, everyone is so, such a fucking local yokel. Anytime there's someone new, they're just like, oh, are you new to the Yaba area? You know, it's at some point, you know, they start drinking beers and shit. And John's like, you know what? Uh, I got to get going. Thanks for your hospitality. I really got to get going. And fucking Tim's just like, you're leaving. What do you mean you're leaving? Oh, I understand you're going through some problems, but you know what? Just stay, just hang out, have a fucking beer. And you know what? We're going to figure out your fucking whole situation bro it's all good (laughs) it's like john just leave dude just fucking leave so and of course this situation isn't gonna get figured in case you're wondering (laughs) it's gonna get worse so he's hanging out with uh tim and dick and joe and janet and they just break into the most epic day drinking session ever now Jeanette is thirsty as fuck like it like bad <laughs> like i live in a town of fucking retards alcoholics and there's not a decent dick in a thousand miles type of thirsty and her and john get to talking cuz he's sensitive and a school teacher and <laughs> has a polite manner to him so at some point She's like, uh, Daddy, uh, me and John are going to go for a walk, and it's nighttime at this point. And fucking Tim and all his homies uh, have been drinking all day. They're playing cards. Doc Titan shows up, you know, Donald Pleasance. And so they're off doing their thing. So they go out into uh, – they go for a walk, and she's basically like <laughs> – she just, like, lays in the dirt and just unbuttons her blouse like – Okay, let's fuck. <laughs> and 
uh, they get to smooching and he like jumps on top of her. And then like a second later, he jumps off and just vomits. (laughs) It's the, it's the most depressing boner killing scene you could possibly, uh, could possibly want it. Her vagina dried up drier than the patch of sand that she's laying in. So, So after a drunken montage, that's very, well, this was filmed in the early 70s, so anytime there needs to be some sort of mental, chaotic, debaucherous thing going on, it's very, everything looks very psychedelic. The camera's spinning around the room, weird close-ups of people's faces, a theremin-sounding music, and, I don't know, Moog synthesizer. <laughs> type of shit and then uh boom we we go straight to black and then um john wakes up the next day at at doc titan's house uh his shack really i mean this place is (laughs) this place makes like leatherface's house look like Aaron Paul's house in Idaho. I know that's an incredibly specific reference, but, um, and I probably mentioned this before, but Architectural Digest, the magazine, has a YouTube channel that's, and the videos are basically consist of a very fancy version of the show Cribs. If you're old enough to remember the MTV show Cribs, where they go to celebrities' homes and the celebrities show you around their house. And Architectural Digest has a similar show, um, except it's way better in every single way. The houses are better. It's The houses are amazing. It's shot a, way, way better. It doesn't look like it was shot on a fucking flip phone. And uh, Aaron Paul had, from Breaking Bad, you know, fucking Jesse Pinkman, he has the most awesome fucking house in Idaho. I think it it might be in Boise. I'm not a hundred percent sure. It looks like it's probably outside of Boise, but it's this giant cabin. It's huge. And everything about it is absolutely custom and beautiful and amazing. And it's not obnoxious and dumb looking like, um, like the Kardashians house where everything is like, like this pompous, overly modern, just unlivable white space. It's actually, it's like a lot of just wood and stone and stuff like that. And they have a, he has this beautiful fireplace. It looks like the fucking fireplace from, uh, what was it? One of the Batman movies, one of the older Batman movies, like, Bruce, there's a scene where Bruce Wayne's just standing in front of his fireplace, and the, it's huge. Like, you could park a fucking car inside the uh, the fireplace. And there's this huge fireplace, and the mantle of the fireplace is this fucking monolithic stone. It's like, <laughs> it looks like a piece of Stonehenge or something like that. It's this single giant stone, and he, uh, 
him and his wife describe how they got that stone in uh, into the room. And when they were building the house, they knew that when they built that fireplace, they were going to have to place that stone as the mantle. So they put, before they actually put the roof onto the house, they had a, a crane lower the stone, which is probably multiple tons in weight. It's massive. And then they set the stone before they actually built the rest of the roof. Unbelievable. And I know I mentioned this on, I've mentioned this on other podcasts. Uh, There's a Lenny Kravitz episode as well. He has like a, he lives on a plantation somewhere in uh, Brazil and his fucking house is unfucking believably awesome. If you're listening to this, Lenny Kravitz, I want to come live with you and your beautiful family. <laughs> and me and Zoe Kravitz, a, bu- a bunch of wild animals, can all share a room together. That'd be great. But, uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, so John wakes up at uh, Doc Titan's house, and the place is a fucking dump. And um, he wakes up, and Doc's making what looks like fucking like Alpo dog food in a pan. And he's like, uh, oh, hey, good morning. Here, have some breakfast. And it's just like ground kangaroo meat. And he just plops it on a plate, gives John a flat beer and some type of pill of unknown origin. He's like, here, just take it. And if, <laughs> John's like, oh, no, I'm like, I'm allergic to pills. <laughs> and he's like, just fucking take the fucking pill <laughs> and wash it down with some beer. So he's, uh, you know, he's trying to you know, give him a hangover cure. And he's like, fuck dude. He's like, when, like, when did the party end? He's like, dawn. He's like, what time is it now? He's like, it's four o'clock in the afternoon. He's like, Oh no. And before fucking John can even get his feet underneath him, uh, uh, you know, he's overwhelmed by doc. His doc starts telling him like, Hey, I know that you, uh, I know that you lied to Tim about losing your money, just, you know, misplacing it. And you actually lost all your money gambling. And, you know, he's, he basically tells his story where he's like, I've been out here for five years. He's like, I don't own the shack. He's like, no one owns it. It's like abandoned. He's like, I just live here. And he's really measured and articulate. And I've known people like this, just like really intelligent, articulate people who have fallen into a fucking abyss of substance abuse. And as the deeper they get into this abyss, they're able to articulate exactly uh, and justify exactly their, um, their current uh, situation. And yeah, he's like, I've been, he's like, I was a doctor in Sydney and um, I fucking hated it. So I moved out here. He's like, I, he's like, um, sometimes I treat people for medical stuff. He's like, but I don't accept money. He's like, I don't live off money. He's like, I have no money. He's like, I could get money, but I just don't, I'm not interested in money. He pretty much just eats kangaroo and whatever food is just laying around. Um, and people give him booze and he's like, you know, people here are friendly. They're hospitable. He's like, I never buy booze. 
I never buy food. He's like, I, but I always have food and booze. And he's like, I have shelter. His house sucks. He's, it's not, it's barely a house, but he's like, you know, I have somewhere to live. And, um, and then he starts talking about how he can tell him and Jeanette were giving each other googly eyes the night before. And, and he talks about how Jeanette is basically like, she's like the fucking town, uh, <laughs> she's the town slag if if you know um she's a promiscuous woman but uh doc titan goes into this thing where he's like oh i fucked around with Jeanette all the time and for years and it's a thing where her and i don't like she's not a slut she just likes sex and she's surrounded by men so kind of the expectation of men going after and pursuing women and being sexually aggressive with women. She's like, that's Jeanette. When she wants a man, she just fucking takes him. And you can tell the scene is trying to set up that like John is kind of uncomfortable and kind of jealous about this because he, you know, kind of liked Jeanette a little bit, which is also, you know, scumbag move. It's like, bro, you're, (laughs) you're supposed to be, in Sydney with your girlfriend right now that you want to take with you to fucking England. Also, like, John's, like, an English dude. Like, he's an Australian and shit, but he's actually, he's um, an Englishman. But he's like, yeah, I just he's like, I just want to fucking move to fucking England, get into journalism, stop teaching, take my girlfriend with me and shit. But, like, clearly John is not a fucking stable guy. You know what I mean? It's like, you... You want to feel bad for him because he's surrounded by psychos, but at the same time, it's like he put himself in this situation. Like, if he went and took his girlfriend out to fucking England, and like, he's clearly unreliable. He's too susceptible to bad influence. Not so much that he's a bad person, but it's just like this dude succumbs to peer pressure and has no fucking backbone and. Deep down, won't admit things like his sexual hunger. He won't um, accept that he's like he likes to get fucked up. He likes to drink. He likes to gamble. He likes to be fucking rowdy. But he has this sort of like, you know, kind of um, fancy posh upbringing that you know, he thinks he needs to hold that standard. But then he meets someone like Doc, who has had similar. Um, a similar background, but he's like, like, why do you want to be so fucking proper? He's like, w- like, what's the point? Like, what's wrong with just being fucking sexually promiscuous? What's wrong with just like not giving a fuck about money and trying to obtain money and status? It's like, if you're just surrounded by people that like you just want to have a good time, and everyone kind of rallies together to, you know, kind of take care of each other. It's like you don't need to have some I this fancy idea of a proper city life or whatever, you know. And talking about Janet, he's just like, like, oh, yeah, we fucked around a whole bunch. Of, oh, yeah, he's, he's basically telling them this where uh, John's like, yo, I need to take a piss. Where do I take a piss? And he's like, bathroom's outside. So he goes outside and 
John's just peeing on a fucking like burnt out abandoned like <laughs> fucking like abandoned car that's just in Doc's yard. And Doc comes over and he's just like staring at John's dick while he's peeing. And John's trying to like angle away from Doc while he's peeing. And Doc is just going on with his story about how many times him and Jeanette have fucked around and she's a loose woman and he's a loose guy. And it's it's okay to be cool, open with your sexuality. He's like, yeah, me and Jeanette li- live like shit, but we know each other better than most people know themselves. And, he, <laughs> and John's just trying to turn away from him while he's trying to just piss in peace. And Doc just keeps following his dick around. It's very funny. Little moments like that that are sort of uncomfortable, but uh, the humor, the humor is there to add levity to the scene, and it's very well done. Donald Pleasance is fucking fantastic. So John's like, I should, again, he's like, fuck, he's like, bro, I need, I need to get the fuck out of here. And he's just like, can't, he's like, dude, you can't leave. Uh, fucking uh, Dick and Joe are going to be here soon. We're going kangaroo hunting. And he's like, kangaroo hunting? What the fuck are you talking about? He's like, yeah, we're uh, like, you know. It's like, if I want kangaroo meat, if I want endless amounts of kangaroo meat, I got to go hunting with these guys. It's fun. You'll love it. If we get drunk, we hunt kangaroo. It's a, it's a fucking blast. So John just has like no air to fucking breathe here. He's just like hung, just woke up, hung over, looks like shit. He's filthy. He's sweaty. And, and <laughs> before he can get his bearings, okay, here comes Dick and Joe. Comes to pick these two up and be like, all right, come on, let's go. We're going fucking kangaroo hunting. Get out of here, pussies. So Dick and Joe come and uh, swoop John and uh, Doc up, right? And they got this fucking, I don't know what the fuck kind of car this is. It looks like a fucking old Cadillac convertible that's been turned into a fucking, let's go kill some fucking kangaroo mobile. And it's hilarious. Like, the fucking thing is... It looks like there's fucking just dried blood just fucking caked onto the fucking thing. It's like a fucking weird death machine. So, and they're driving out in the middle of nowhere, and it's a it's a great shot. It's very uh, I don't know Mad Max Fury Road. You know, it's just this car just tearing ass through the desert, and they drive past this sign. The sign says, "Road warning signs are for your protection." Please don't use them for targets. And as they drive by, they just fucking shoot the thing like 10 times and speed right past it. It's an odd sign to have. It's kind of asking for it, right? If you have a fucking sign, uh, if people are just using signs as target practice and, you know, you have to have a sign that tell people not to use signs as target practice. And it's hilarious because the sign itself is fucking gigantic. So... So the hunt begins like once they get out there and they're there all fucking day. So <laughs> so it starts when they get there, it's still sunlight and shit and they're driving. They see a fucking kangaroo and they start going after it and they don't shoot it. They just fucking run it over with their car and they get out and <laughs> fucking Doc Titan like cuts off the kangaroo's balls. And fucking, like, Joe and Dick are like, yeah, dude, fucking Doc loves eating the fucking kangaroo balls. It's the best part of the roux, bro. <laughs> so these guys are completely, complete maniacs. 
And this scene itself is the controversial scene of this film. This is where the scene, the movie really starts to fucking edge towards a climax. And it's, it starts with this fucking kangaroo hunting scene and it is horrific. Um, I've done, I did quite a bit of research looking into this exact scene and I've looked at interviews with uh, Ted Kotcheff, the director, and he explains the scene uh, where basically they would shoot the scenes with all the actors. So the whole hunting party, you know. So it's Joe and fucking uh, Joe and the other guy and Doc and John. So they're all tearing through the fucking thing. And they did, they shot all their scenes. But he also found a, he filmed a bunch of footage with an actual team of kangaroo hunters who aren't drunk psychopaths. They're just kangaroo, people who hunt kangaroo and took a bunch of footage of the kangaroos being hunted, them like hopping around, you know, uh, through the desert and even them being shot and you know, and, and footage of their bodies after after they've been shot. And even footage of their bodies after they've been butchered. Because from what I can tell, and it's in and it's it's pretty horrifying, you know, they they it looks like they cut the back legs and the tail off the kangaroo, but like leave the upper body. I guess there's no use for it. And they're all just sort of left in a pile and it's it's disgusting. And it looks real because it is real. And fucking Ted Kotcheff did a great job, like, cutting those two, the footage from both of those uh, elements together to make it look like there's this crazy hunting party of, like, rednecks hunting these fucking deer in the most kind of crude, um, vicious way possible. But... And regardless, you know, you know, not regardless, but whatever you think about hunting in general and firearms, you know, most hunters are not fucking hooting and hollering and fucking, you know, it's not this drunken murder spree and cruelty to animals type situation. Most hunters are there for, for the actual meat of the animal. And even those hunters would tell you that people who are like trophy hunters, people who are going around the world shooting elephants and shit like that, they're not down for that. You know what I mean? And, you know, I think people who are anti-gun, anti-hunting, um, anti-trophy hunting, they, they should really be honest with themselves and understand that there is a distinction because some people are so just they don't want to lose face or lose ground you know they want to be as anti-gun anti-hunting as possible but it's like do some people have to hunt their for their fucking food or want to hunt to their food in some places you have to fucking hunt for your food or you know some places there's just so many fucking animals that it becomes like a fucking environmental fucking catastrophe so it's like you have to you have to call some of the species down of certain animals you know it's just it's part of animal preservation and <laughs> to 
believe it or not. But yeah, this the scene is, you know, here's your trigger warning. <laughs> the kangaroo scene in this film is 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 quite shocking, but and um, the most horrifying scenes are real, but they're cut together with um, footage of the actual actors who probably weren't even there for the actual hunt of these things. So, and then after this, they stop off at this like little bar. To have some drinks, um, of course, <laughs> before they go hunting later on when it gets dark. So they're sitting on the porch of this bar, and Dick and Joe are like, oh, shit, there's a fucking, there's a fox. And they just start shooting at it while sitting on the porch of this fucking bar. <laughs> because they're all just carrying rifles. So, and I live in Texas, and I'm like, oh, that's a little much. <laughs> that's like, I'm fine with people carrying guns and shit, but, you know, if you're just sitting on the porch of a bar and you see a fox run by. It's like, oh, and everyone just opens fire on it. And then John's like, oh, he sees everyone else firing at it. And he's like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to shoot at it, too. And John, like, fucking aims and shoots and fucking hits the fucking thing. And he's like, oh, shit, I hit it. And he, like, jumps off the porch and starts to run after it. And they're like, whoa, 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 stop. Come back here. Come back here. They're like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, what? I'm going to go get the fucking fox I just shot. They're like, no, no. We 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 just shoot those things for fun. We don't eat them. They're just a pestilence out here. We just fucking shoot them just for, for a laugh. And you're like, oh, shit. These guys basically tricked him into fucking just poaching a fucking poor little fucking fox for no reason. So he just killed a fox for no fucking reason. He's like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I'll just come back to the porch and get fucking shit-faced with you guys. And in fact, he does. So we cut forward a little bit, and it's like, you can tell it's probably hours later. It's getting dark. Fucking table's covered in empty beer bottles. And they're still ordering beers and whiskeys and shit. And then we cut to them taking off back into the desert to go more for more kangaroo hunting. And that's where more of those kind of horror elements uh, start to creep in. So you see their car just tear through the desert and drive past the uh, well, the dead, uh, the dead fox that that John shot. And once you, they get out there, it's like it's pitch black, and they uh, they have a spotlight and they're sort of like spot. They're driving through the desert and they're shining spotlights around looking for uh, looking for kangaroo. And this is kind of like the beginning of that kangaroo hunting scene. Oh, come here, puppy. We are joined. We are joined now by Ellie, the skeleton factory dog. Hi, baby. Let's go pick her up and hold her. Okay. So, <laughs> so this, we get to the part of the hunt where um, it's really the only scene where there's any interaction with um, an act, like an actor and a kangaroo and it's the character of Joe is like the biggest of all these fucking guys. And um, it's a thing where they, they've been chasing the kangaroo and they're shooting at him and they have one that's injured, but they can't um, instead of fuck, I guess instead of just like tracking it down and shooting it again, they're like, Oh, we're going to, Joe's just going to get out of the car and he's going to go kind of, uh, he's going to go kill the kangaroo with his bare hands. 
And they mentioned, like, this is dangerous. Like, these fucking kangaroos are strong. You know, they could sit back on their tail and fucking kick you and fuck you up really bad. So Joe goes out there, and he's, like, distracting the kangaroo by swinging his hat and taking swings at him and trying to disorient him and so he can get behind the kangaroo. And he closes the distance, gets, gets behind the kangaroo, pulls out a knife, and slashes the kangaroo's throat and kills it. Now, this scene could have easily been faked and it probably was faked but um, just the way everything is cut together it's very brutal and along with the music the music itself it's it's nighttime and the music is kind of dramatic and it's like it's almost like horror music so you the whole thing is just awful yeah so they kill the fucking kangaroo and then um, they're driving and they're like hey Hey, John, do you think you'd want to go take on a kangaroo like that? And he's like, he's like, yeah, why not? And he's fucking shit-faced. And even, and Doc's in the back seat with him. He's like, fucking, I wouldn't do that shit. He's like, fuck that. He's like, I don't get out of the car and try to fucking wrestle a kangaroo and fuck slit its throat. Fuck that noise. But fucking John's totally game. He's like, yeah, totally. I'll totally do it. So he stumbles out of the fucking car and... He's walking up on this fucking kangaroo. He can barely walk straight. And everyone's all laughing and giggling and shit. And then once John kind of gets within, you know, 10 feet of this fucking thing, he's just like, oh, like the kangaroo. It's another situation where the kangaroo's injured. It's been shot a couple of times, but it's not dead. And John's like, oh, fuck. Like he kind of sobers up for a second. He's like, this fucking thing. Now I gotta now I gotta kill it. And all the guys are at the car with the spotlight, like, yeah, fucking John, go get him, buddy boy. And John, uh actually it's it's another scene where fucking um, you know, you see the actor with the uh, with the kangaroo, and John runs up on this thing, grabs it by the tail, and the thing's trying to hop away. And I'm not you know, the way it's cut together, it look yeah, it looks like it was actually you know, fucking like John. I don't think I don't think it was a stunt, a stunt man or anything like that. But instead of like grabbing the thing by the tail, you know, grabbing it around the neck and slitting its throat, John just kind of panics and grabs it by the tail and just stabs it into stabs its side, and then he just ends up stabbing the fucking thing. And the thing's still alive. The thing's kicking and screaming. And he just keeps fucking stabbing it until it eventually dies. And it's brutal. And of course, fucking, uh, what are those two motherfuckers' names? Was it fucking, is it Dick and Joe? Yeah, it is Dick and Joe. Dick and Joe are just laughing hysterically and uncontrollably like, yeah, go get him, fucking John. Fuck up that kangaroo. And they're drinking and it's hooting and hollering. And Doc is just kind of calmly standing there just drinking and watching John because he understands what's happening. He's watching this fucking well-to-do, proper, fucking fancy teacher boy hanging out with a bunch of fucking maniacs. And he's just like, okay, maybe the kangaroo will fuck him up. Maybe the kangaroo will be like, look at this drunk asshole. I'm going to kick him into a fucking middle of next week. But, But no, fucking John gets the best of the kangaroo and fucking kills the poor thing and and Doc's just kind of watching all this happen, like, hmm, you know. 
So John kills the kangaroo and drags the kangaroo back to the car with all the other kangaroo. And again, they don't and they and they they just remove they cut off the uh, the hind legs and the tail. And then they leave the rest of the upper body, the head all attached. So by the end of their hunt, they have this pile of kangaroo torsos just left out in the middle of the desert. It's horrifying. It's horrifying. And they head back to the bar from earlier and it's closed. (laughs) And they wake up the owner who I guess lives in the bar and starts throwing beer bottles through the windows and shit and waking the guy up. And then um, the dude just like, <laughs> that's here's your wake up call. Let us in. We want to drink. And they end up drinking more. They all get shit faced. And then they all just, just destroy the fucking bar itself. Just these four guys. And then Dick and Joe drop off John and doc at doc's shack. And they're stumbling all over, stumbling all over themselves and drinking even more. Which is a lot of drinking going on in this movie. <laughs> and it's funny, there's one part where when they get to the house and John's in the fridge getting more alcohol and fucking Doc reaches into his, like he's wearing a vest, no shirt, just a fucking open vest. And he pulls some kangaroo balls out of his pocket and puts them in the fridge. And... That's that's fucking gross, you know? If you were, you know, everyone kind of has, a, like, a blackout rage night, maybe once a week or once a month or whatever, you know, where you just meet up with, uh, with your peoples and just get hammered for no reason. It's fun. But someone rolled up with, like, a rifle and... <laughs> Wearing nothing but a vest and fucking had severed kangaroo balls in their fucking pocket. All covered in ball juice and kangaroo blood. That might, that might fucking, that might fuck up the party a little bit. Or not, I don't know. I don't know what you do with your friends. But they go back to Doc's house and they continue, uh, they continue their uh, evening of, of drinking and laughing hysterically. And I don't know. It, it's one of the, it's one of those things like in movies where like if someone's smoking weed in a movie and everyone's just laughing hysterically, like over the top laughing or I don't know. It's, it's like this movie. I don't know. People who I know and, and definitely not me, but people I know friends of mine and not me at all who uh, drink can drink a lot. It's not that I drink a lot. It's just when I do, I have the ability to drink a lot. That's just what it is, you know? So, but I'm not like walking around, stumbling into shit, laughing uncontrollably. You know, you can't, I, I figured if you just drank all, every day, all day long, like you're not acting like a fucking... 13-year-old is getting trash with his fucking friends. 
in a fucking orchard party somewhere. You probably have better control over your shit at that point, I would think. But I get it. It's for a movie. Whatever. Doc, who... Generally, he looks really gross. You know what I mean? He looks like everyone from a fucking Rob Zombie movie. Like, if everyone in a fucking Rob... If you could just smell all of... If you put every character in a Rob Zombie movie into a fucking... Into a car in the sun with the windows up and just let him sit in there all day. And then you open up the door and just smell it. That's what Doc looks like he smells like. Doc starts wrestling around with John. And very interesting. Starts wrestling and gets behind him in almost like a rear naked choke situation. John has zero defense against a rear naked choke. It's like, bro, you need to, that's like day one. You need to learn that shit. And then Doc wrestles him to the ground. And then they have this moment where they kind of are like, they stop wrestling each other for a second, and then they just hold this, like, deeply homoerotic stare for, like, a few seconds. And then, boom, hard cut to the next morning. And it's it's dark inside the fucking shack, and all you can hear is the sound of flies buzzing. So I think the inference is that they had, like, gay sex together. And I don't know. I mean, the fly, the flood, the sound of flies is great. I guess that's, uh, flies are just buzzing around their, their stinky naked bodies, eating the fucking shit off of each other's dicks. <laughs> I don't know, but it zooms down, and um, they're both passed out on the, this, that's the thing, like, It's one of those things that is very, uh, like, it's very obvious, but your brain doesn't, like, it just sits in your subconscious. It's like every day John has been out in the fucking Yaba, he wakes up horribly hungover. It's just fucking, and you, and you, you see how much the characters drink. It's just, he just fucking wakes up. Crusty crackhead lips, dry from dehydration, and having fucking Donald Pleasance, <laughs> Donald Pleasance bad breath and beard face, chewing away at your fucking lips while he fucking missionary rod dogs you on the floor of his shack. <laughs> so John gets up and gets dressed, and John looks bad, <laughs> like really bad. He's covered in dirt and sweat and mud and fucking kangaroo blood. And he looks like shit. He looks like the floor of a fucking Gigi Allen concert. <laughs> so he, he, he's about to leave Doc's house and Doc's like, hey, don't forget your, your fucking rifle, your kangaroo hunting rifle. And then John walks into town and he goes over to the bar and, um, and uh, Jock Crawford's there. And uh, buys him a couple of beers, of course, because it's the fucking Yaba, and everyone's just like, hey, dude, if you're here, you might as well get fucking shit-faced. And John just crushes two beers, and uh, Jock gives him a cigarette, and that's his fucking breakfast. A little, little hair of the dog and a cigarette, and then John goes somewhere to get cleaned up and then starts walking. <laughs> he starts walking towards Sydney. 
which if he has to take a plane to Sydney, you know, it's hundreds of miles away. <laughs> so, and I don't know if you've ever looked at a map. I don't know if you're a, a road Atlas uh, fan, but uh, Sydney's a, um, not so much, uh, not so much Sydney, but uh, Australia is a very, very, very big country. Some would even call it a continent. So he starts walking towards Sydney. So he's just walking through the fucking desert, totally dehydrated. But he's got that two, uh, he's got that two beer buzz though. So that's sweet. He's walking through the fucking desert. Um, he fucking sleeps overnight in the fucking desert, and while he's out, he fucking shoots a rabbit and. Builds a fire and eats it, uh, which is gross. But um, it's gross because he didn't like skin the rabbit. He didn't uh, like put its skinned carcass after getting it onto a stick and then cooking over the fire. Like you see, the fire is like built, but he's just holding the rabbit fur head ears still attached and he's just gnawing away at the fucking inner carcass of it i'm like what the, what the fuck <laughs> what the fuck you doing dude it never occurred to you to skin the fucking rabbit i guess not i guess he never saw um he never saw uh the movie necromantic i guess he never saw the end of that movie but he eventually um let's see he he hitchhikes he gets a ride from uh, a couple of people and then ends up hitchhiking past this fucking uh, hotel where he sees a big, like, fucking, there's like a, like a fucking, like an 18-wheeler truck and it says Sydney on it. And he's like, oh, fuck, whoever's driving this must be going to Sydney. So he goes over to where... Uh, this like hotel bar is, and it's just a building in the middle of fucking nowhere, basically. And then he's like asking around, like, "Hey, who's driving that truck over there?" Because I'm I'm gonna need a fucking ride, right? And he finds the guy, and the guy's like, he's like, "Well, all I don't have any money, but I have this fucking rifle. It's all I have." And the guy's like, "Okay, cool." He's like, "You can't sit up in the cab with me. You got to go sit in the back of the fucking this giant." fucking like cargo truck thing and he's you know he's like okay where are you going he's like i'm, I'm going to the city he's like okay cool i'll take you there so okay so dude's like all right cool um let's i'll give you a ride get in the back and they drive and drive and drive and then uh, they pull over dude's like okay we made it to the city get out fucking john gets out and looks around and to his horror <laughs> the guy took him back to uh, the Yaba, and he's like, "I thought we were going to Sydney." He's like, "You said you said you want to go to the city. This is a city, isn't it?" <laughs> and then the guy's like, "By the way, here, here's your rifle. At least the ride was fucking free." Bye. <laughs> so now fucking John is stuck back in the fucking uh, Yaba, and. <laughs> It's right then where he begins to have like a a mental break in the form of a, a montage of uh, Doc and Jeanette like f 
fucking <laughs> Donald Pleasance pouring beer into his mouth and then spitting it into Jeanette's mouth, which is gross, among other things. Uh, you know, this, he has these flashbacks of his girlfriend out in Sydney, of uh, the guys at the two-up hall laughing at him, of... Um, of everything, him killing the kangaroo. It's just this montage of all the crazy shit that's happened thus far in the film. And uh, this is to signify John's uh, mental breakdown that he's now experiencing. So John <laughs> decides like, well, since I'm here, I'm going to go kill me a gay guy. And, uh, well, I guess a bisexual guy. And he sprints over to uh, Doc's house, kicks the door in with his fucking rifle. And uh, I guess he's just like, I'm going to go kill Doc now. Just, okay. He just felt like killing Doc. Oh, another thing that was funny that I forgot to mention was uh, when uh, John went to go ask the guy in the truck for a ride. And he's like, oh, I don't have any money. He's like, but I'll give you a rifle. And the guy's like, well, let me see the rifle. Pulls out the rifle. The guy, like, puts the thing together. And he's kind of inspecting the rifle. Like, hmm, okay. And then he just looks down the barrel of the fucking rifle. (laughs) Doesn't know if the thing's fucking loaded or not. Just sticks his eye down the barrel of a fucking rifle. Uh, Hilarious. I love love that. I love when guns are used improperly in, in, in films. You know, I love that. People walk around with just their finger on the trigger for no reason. It's wonderful. That's why that's why uh that's why Hollywood celebrities are so so against guns. Because they have, they know absolutely nothing about them except for what is written in the screenplay of the film that they're acting in. All they know is that guns are for murdering people. <laughs> and and the and if you're lucky, the only good guys are are police officers. The police will protect me. I don't need guns. The government has guns. They'll protect me. That's why they. That's how they think. But um, <laughs> yes, reckless firearm usage in movies always gives me a giggle. So, anyways, he goes. <laughs> he goes. Uh, runs over to Doc's house to kill him because um, I guess he's having. Um, I don't know. There's a there's a term for when you sleep with somebody and then you regret it and then um you uh I don't remember the term, but it's basically you're withdrawing consent after the fact. Like if you're a, a college girl and you get drunk with a college guy and then both of you have sex at uh, at your dorm room and then like a semester later, you decide that that sexual encounter was rape, but it's not really rape. It's just, uh, it was just like you felt bad about doing it. Like maybe you slept with someone gross. I think we've all slept with somebody gross at least once, or at least made out with someone gross. You know, they have bad breath or they're just gross. (laughs) Um, yeah, that's, that's a thing. I don't know if you knew that you can just withdraw consent. And be like, oh yeah, that person actually raped me. <laughs> and the and and probably most court systems in the world would probably take that charge. The 
that accusation, rather, uh, they'll take it seriously. Isn't it great? Isn't justice amazing? So John realizes that Doc isn't there. So he goes to the corner of the kitchen and just crumbles onto the floor and is like, oh, I'm going to just wait for him to walk through the door and I'll just shoot him as he comes through the door. But he decides not to do that and decides to put the gun to his head and shoot himself in the head uh, right as Doc is walking in. So he went the way of suicide. And actually, there's there was a, quite a few little moments of uh, foreshadowing of, uh, of suicide. In the beginning of the movie, there was a, there was a, uh, when uh, John first met Jock, they were talking about like, um, they were talking about suicide. They were kind of joking. It's like, oh, that's, that's one way to get out of the Yaba by killing yourself. And, um, you know, there, there was a couple of little things like that in movies, just sort of like foreshadowing. And I think the, the thing that the, uh, the truck driver guy, like sticking the gun, his eye looking down the barrel of the gun, I think that was probably a little, a little bit of a foreshadow as well. But, uh, guess what? <laughs> John didn't die. <laughs> you just see him bang. He shoots himself and then he wakes up in the hospital with his head all bandaged up. And, Jock is standing over him, and he's basically like, oh, hey, here, I need you to sign this uh, piece of paper. It It's a, a statement saying that you went to your friend Doc Titan's house, and you dropped your rifle on the floor on accident, and it was loaded, and it went off when it hit the floor and accidentally shot you in the head. That's going to be your, your, your legal statement. So it wasn't suicide. It was an accident. Right, John? Wink, wink. And Jock gives it uh, to John to sign. So that's what's weird. It's like uh, most of the people in this movie are not really bad people. Like they're oddly polite. And I, and I th- they're oddly polite, but there's all these sort of like morally reprehensible things that they have like in, in how they conduct themselves. You know what I mean? Like they're drunkards and they're violent and things like that. But for the most part, people are very like hospitable. It's weird. It's this weird, this weird duality. And I found, uh, I watched the, it's like the, uh, another Australian film, the film, uh, chopper, uh, Eric Bana's like that. I, I watched tons of interviews with chopper Reed, And it's one of those things where he's just like, he was, he was raised to be incredibly polite at all times, no matter what the situation. And he found that being polite as an adult gangster, shaking down other gangsters and drug dealers and shit for money. He found that politeness was, that was kind of part of his MO you know what I mean? He'd be like, okay, you're going to give me all the money that you have on you. Yeah, if you can just go ahead and give that to me, please. Otherwise, I'm going to have to shoot you. And I don't want to have to shoot you, but I'm trying to have a uh, <laughs> polite, gentlemanly <laughs> exchange here of you giving me your money so I don't have to shoot you. You know, it's like, as opposed to like, give me all your fucking money, motherfucker. It's like none of that shit. 
you know, and it's kind of disarming when someone comes up to you that polite and is wanting to rob you <laughs> or they're just like a fucking maniac, but they're incredibly calm. That's sort of something that you see that I've noticed in Australian films. That's sort of like a thing, like maintaining uh, a polite demeanor, even if you're being horrible. <laughs> well, here's an example. Here's an example of that exact thing. The uh, Donald Pleasance was in You Only Live Twice. He was uh, the character of uh, Blofeld, which is what the like uh, Austin Powers Doctor Evil character sort of like modeled after. Uh, and Blofeld is, you know, he's got the whole thing. He's got the fucking scar on his face and the fucked up eye and the fucking. Does he have a monocle? Or <laughs> I just imagine that in my brain, but. But, you know, he's got the white cat, and he's, like, petting it and shit. He's like, hello, Dr. James Bond. I heard you were assassinated in Moscow. You only lived twice, Mr. Bond. You know what I mean? He's, like, incredibly polite gentleman scoundrel. You know what I mean? I, I guess it's not necessarily an Australian thing that, you know, that's definitely, like, you know, kind of, like, gentleman bad guys that's also pretty much like a british thing too like you see that in like films like snatch you know movies like that but uh what's that other fucking movie what's the one with oh i'm blanking on his name you know the dude who plays jacks from sons of anarchy that fucking guy the blonde guy blonde good-looking guy blue eyes yeah he's in some guy Ritchie movie it's like a newer one. And fucking like Colin Farrell's in it. I forgot what that fucking movie's called. I didn't really like that movie very much. <laughs> Most, I don't, yeah. Most of his movies in the past few years I'm just not fucking into. You know, like I'm not interested in a King Arthur fucking, <laughs> fucking remake. I'm just not interested, but... And that movie had, like, cool parts in it. It kind of felt kind of like Snatch or Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. But, you know, but it's that sort of, like, well-dressed, polite, scoundrel, fucking uh, criminal thing. I do kind of enjoy that in movies. You know, there's a lot of that in, like, uh, John Wick movies and stuff like that. But, anyways, what I'm saying is that's that just seems also like a big um, kind of thing in, a, in Australian films because it's rather you're like a redneck maniac or you're this kind of like polite dude but anyways the <laughs> so john lives through getting shot in the fucking head and you're not exactly sure how much time has gone by like maybe six i mean i don't want <laughs> You shot yourself in the head. I don't think you're like out and I don't think you would just walk out of the fucking hospital after six weeks, but, um, I guess that's what happened because after this, John ends up going back to, uh, to Bunda and everyone's like, Oh, Hey, how was your Christmas break? So it's, it's not like he was gone for months. He might've been, but it just doesn't seem that way. But John ends up just walking out of the hospital, you know, in a suit with his fucking suitcase, like nothing fucking happened. So John just strolls out of the hospital and uh, Doc Titans there waiting for him. And and, Doc, and this is like the first time you see Doc looking fucking normal. He's wearing like, he's like cleaned up. He's wearing a suit. 
Um, he actually kind of looks like um, Dr. Loomis from Halloween. <laughs> and, he, and he says something to the effect of like, like, you know, I get, for a guy who's such a good shot, I figured you'd be able to fucking shoot yourself in the head and, uh, and be able to kill yourself uh, effectively, but apparently not, which is, you know, funny, <laughs> dark joke. Um, he should have said, since, you know, he looked like Dr. Loomis, he should have said, you know, if I would have shot you, I would have, I would have shot you six times. I would have shot him six times. But he didn't say that because it's not Halloween. And Charles Cyphers isn't in the movie, so. Doc drops him off at the train and, uh, there's, it's kind of anticlimactic. He's like, the train's pulling up and he's just like. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you don't want to miss the train. <laughs> and they don't even really say goodbye to each other. They just fucking look at each other like, hey, remember when we fucked and then you shot yourself in my shack like the other day? Okay, cool. Okay, bye. That <laughs> That's the silent stare they had at each other. And then John gets onto the train and off back to uh Tabunda he goes and when he gets off the train at Tabunda uh there's this dude who was in the movie like at the beginning like when he's when he was getting ready to leave um out of Tabunda in the beginning of the movie there uh, he was at the uh there's like a bar like right outside of the fucking train and there's this character named Charlie who's like the fucking like yokel bartender guy and uh that guy is uh in Crocodile Dundee 1 and 2. <laughs> and it's like, if you've seen Crocodile Dundee 1 and 2, you'd recognize him. He's the Walter Riley character. and uh, But he's a little younger in this movie, obviously, because it's like 10 years you know, before Crocodile Dundee. But uh, yeah, I was like, oh shit, I remember him. <laughs> and he's just sitting on the fucking, this like dirty chair outside the fucking bar, and he's just like, Hey, what's up, John? How was your uh, vacation? And he's like, oh, it was the best. And he's like, tight. And then fucking (laughs) John just walks back into the fucking bar. And and then the camera pans back out. Just like in the beginning of the movie, there's this long panning shot. It's like this 360 shot from... You know, this uh, from where the little tiny train station hotel slash bar slash whatever the fuck else <laughs> that little building is. It just zooms out and, uh, you know, it's sort of the bookend to the end of this uh, this story. So, and that is the end of Wake in Fright. And I... Highly recommend the film. It's very good. Um, I definitely poked fun at some of the uh, goofy shit in the movie, but it's still a very good story. It's dark. <laughs> and um, But there's a lot going on in a film that doesn't have a great deal of dialogue or anything like that. It's just it's one of those movies that explains by just showing you shit, you know? But yes, I think uh, Nick Cave said it best where he was quoted, uh, he was speaking on 
the film Wake and Fright, and he said, quote, uh, Wake and Fright is the best and most terrifying film about Australia in existence, end of quote. And I uh, tend to agree with him. It's a very good film. I definitely put it up there with, like, Bad Boy Bubby and in terms of extreme Australian films. And in case you're wondering um, if you're ever in Australia, if you're on vacation, if you're on holiday, uh, if you want to go check out uh, Bundanyaba, go play two up and get really drunk and go on a kangaroo hunt and and fuck, <laughs> get in a fist fight. Uh, sorry to break it to you, but uh, the town of Bundanyaba is indeed... In fact, not real. It is a fictitious um, city. It's not real. So, sorry about that. But, good news is you can watch some of um, Ted Kotcheff's other films that you may have heard of. As well as Wake and Fright, he also directed... First Blood, also known as the first uh, Rambo film starring Sylvester Stallone. And uh, that came out in 1982. Fantastic year for movies. That's the year I was born. So you can watch you can watch First Blood and, and just know that it's from the same director as Wake and Fright. He also directed Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah. So uh, Ted Kotcheff has um, he has an eclectic directing career. Well, I'm going to cut it off right there, guys. I uh, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get a hold of me, if you'd like to uh, send me praise or uh, hate mail, uh, just send it to my Instagram at skeleton underscore factory. Also, if you would like to support the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash skeleton factory. As of right now, I have a um, audio episode where I talk about uh, Chopper Reed films, the famous Australian gangster portrayed by Eric Bannon, the film Chopper. So he's also a written a ton of books and I also talk about a documentary about Chopper Reed um, called Fat Belly Chopper Unchopped it's a good documentary especially if you're into the movie Chopper or or I would say even it, like if you're into uh, what's that movie if you're into like the, that movie Bronson with Tom Hardy Bronson's kind of a Chopper Reed type of character but he's less crazy and the movie's not quite as theatrically uh i don't know it's not quite as cinematic as as bronson um it's a it's a little more subdued but the the movie does have a lot of style and it's really fucking good chopper's really good and if you know you like that shit like watch uh, fat belly chopper unchopped it's 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 good but i talk about it on a patreon episode and i got a new patreon episode 
coming up very soon. I'm going to be talking about the um, the new 2022 film, Black Phone. Uh, it's a Blumhouse fil- uh, film. So, you know, you know Blumhouse kind of hit and miss. Sometimes they make really good shit like Get Out, and sometimes they make a bunch of garbage. But, but hey, they're out there trying to make spooky shit. So, yeah. <laughs> I got to give them props for that. Also, I'm going to take a look at the film Watcher. Unbelievably fucking good film. If you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, uh, look at a trailer or just go and watch it. And um, then you can pop on over to the Patreon. Again, that's at patreon.com forward slash Skeleton Factory. And I'll be talking about Black Phone and Watcher and kind of comparing the two. Um, Yeah. Well, anyways, I'm going to get the fuck out of here. Thank you so much for listening. Um, And I'll catch you guys on the next one. This is a Skeleton Factory podcast. Rescuing your movie night one movie at a time. This is Adam. Bye-bye.